I'm excited, man. <laughs> so um, today we have Christopher Pitcher. Christopher is a new friend, and he, I mean, I will, I'll probably butcher his uh, biography a little bit, but, but what I love about Christopher is his engagement, his authenticity, his earnestness. And that's one of the things I always wanted actually to do with every conversation and with every guest is to share a little bit about why, what about this person that I like, mm. right? And, and then we can dive deeper about what is it that you do on a daily level, discipline-wise, such that you show up the way that you show up in terms of your presence. And, but I'm jumping ahead. Right? <laughs> um, I want to start off by asking the question I ask every guest. What are some of the pivotal moments in your life that made you the person that you are today, as a person or as a man? It's mm, a great question. Um, the first pivotal, uh, pivotal moment yeah. um, was my mother dying of a heart attack when I was three years old, mm. and my dad remarrying when I was four, mm. and really standing for that my new mother was not my mother-in-law, but was my mother. Mm. And that it was not disrespect to my mother that died mm -hmm. to treat her and function inside of that relationship mm -hmm. in that way. Um, and while that caused a lot of heartache and a lot of therapy that my family had to go through when I was young, it also really allowed me to see things in a much different way because through that therapy I really got to understand and become okay with the different voices that lived inside of me and to actually address them and hear them and hold space for them so that it wasn't like they were just subconsciously running my life but that I actually got to interact with them and hear them in a way that supported me mm. in what I was up to rather than them running the show for a little bit which when I came back in to being the leader I was like where am I <laughs> you know um, do you have therapy when you were really young yeah um, more in teenage years um, so it was three years old to teenage years then you started to receive therapy in a formal way yeah, I mean, there was a lot of personal development work that I did even when I was young. Like, I did the Landmark Forum when I was eight years old. Mm. Um, and different aspects of that, absolutely. Um, and, like, I would say early teenagers when I, I think my parents would have a better remembrance of, like, the exact ages that I was mm. doing therapy. But... Um, yeah. I mean, I don't want to focus on the therapy part, yeah. but I wanted to focus on more as the formalized modality of whether it be lamb education or whether it be some kind of courses or some kind of a thing, because um, it, it takes a particular mindset to turn a misfortune, misfortunate event to really a learning opportunity yeah. and to the point where it's like a blessing of some sort, right? So. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to kind of to touch upon that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not only were my parents um, very 
straight and very forward in terms of their communication and not putting up with BS, but also in terms of standing for my value and not having it be a top-down thing, but essentially the, you know, the whole idea that if you ever find a master in anything, when you ask them a question, they ask you a question back. Right? Like, I'd always be like, but what about this? And they'd ask me a question back, and I'd just be like, mmm. <laughs> and as I got older, I was like, got it. I see, I see the wisdom in that. Mm. Um, because it doesn't really matter until it becomes mine. Mm. Um, and then I would say another... So they treated you as an adult, even from a very, very young age. Something yeah. like, they didn't baby you, they didn't baby talk you, they just talk to you as a you're a little person, you're a little human being. Yeah. Oh wow. I mean there were there were definitely things that you know, it wasn't like sex was talked about when I was young or anything like that, but it was definitely a very open household that um, yeah, that nothing was off limits to talk about. Mm. Um, and I also have an older brother who this whole transition which was much tougher for. Um, because my first words to my new mom were, are you my new mom? Because <laughs> um, I was at that age where, like, sure, I, I understood it, but it was not the attachment that my brother had being five and a half years older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another seminal moment was, I would say... Going to a high school where trips and technology were really important aspects. So it was a arts and technology, arts and sciences school where they had a mandatory laptop program. So everyone had a laptop and obviously that's a very privileged school. Um, and it also ingrained in me a certain understanding from an early age of how to interact with technology and also go on outdoor trips that um, like freshman year we went out to the Olympic Peninsula and we read Lord of the Flies beforehand and then they put us and like six of us are just camping together and like it just it changed our perception of each other and of the world having that integrated understanding of nature and camping and I've always loved the outdoors so that was definitely a huge reference point for me Um, and then when I graduated high school my parents pushed me to go to Australia Um, by yourself mm -hmm. yeah Um, I I tried to get friends to go with me and they're like I don't have money for that (laughs) And I was like, okay, cool. In that case, I'm going to go for a month. And my mom was like, sure you don't want to go for three? And I was like, I'm going to go for one. And (laughs) I get there, and after being there for a week, I'm like, God, why does my mom always have to be right? (laughs) And what about Australia? They really just landed so perfectly for you. To me, it's the... Traveling internationally allows for an understanding that we are all human. It allows for that cultural differences, but at the base of all of those cultural differences are the same things that we eat, 
we like to dance, we like to have fun, we work, like there's all these kind of main building blocks that make up any experience that's human and just the way that that turns out ends up being different which can build different mental models for people but at the end of the day you can look them in the eye and you're like oh you're human like I get it <laughs> and you can connect with people and growing up in the US with the media that we have there's an aspect where like the big bad world and I had a lot of friends that were scared to travel internationally and so at 18 to have that experience and have that be a really positive amazing experience for me um, definitely shifted my understanding of wanting to get out there wanting to really explore and feed the curiosity that I had about the world mm -hmm. and yeah just really connecting with people mm -hmm. what a blessing you had well, the learning experiences from these three major pivotal moments. Well, there are others because, you know, they're still pretty young, right? It's yes. 18. So. Yeah. so traveling abroad in Australia definitely shifted just the mindset that I had to be able to connect with human beings all around the world. And while Australia isn't a hugely different culture than the U.S., um, it definitely is different at the same time <laughs> and was a great way to you know just kind of dip my toes in travel and understand that there's a lot of unbelievable places that are much more beautiful than even our perceived imagination of them um, so that definitely fed curiosity for me to travel a lot more and also just to see how I can connect with people all over the world without feeling like they're different than me, you know, with really understanding they just grew up in different circumstances with different cultural heritages and norms. And when I look at it that way, then everyone's my friend. Is that, is that the point where you develop this love for connecting with another human being? About 18, Australia trip? Um, is that I don't, I think I was still a little self-doubting. Uh, self Mm -hmm. At that point, like, I definitely enjoyed that, um, but I was a little socially awkward still. Like, I really relied on basketball as I grew up as a way to become a part of a group. Like, I was one of those guys who I had friends in multiple groups, and I would, you know, I'd come, I'd be there for a bit, and then I'd be gone. I wasn't, like, a mainstay in any specific friend group. Um, and so, and that's also... I mean, I moved around a lot when I was young. Um, I lived in, I was born in Philly, lived in Toronto, or lived in Santa Cruz when I was two, Toronto when I was four, Chicago when I was six, Seattle when I was 12, and then New Hampshire for a year when I was 18, then LA, and then Chicago again for grad school, and then traveled for 15 months, and then back to LA. You so. travel a lot <laughs> when you got around. Yeah. Um, so in, when I was young, that was very much a, like, I didn't feel like I had any of those long-term friends, right? Those, like, you step into a social circle and they're like, oh, we've known each other since we were five years old. And you're like, awesome. <laughs> like, I don't know how to start now. <laughs> 
because I feel excluded in some capacity because you guys have this long relationship. Mm. And then as I got older, that really shifted into me understanding that I could make friends anywhere that I go. I can connect with people anywhere that I go and really understand that home is where I am. Mm. At what point did you realize that? I would say that where that really came to life for me was after grad school when I decided to take off and traveled by myself for 15 months. Mm. And I did 26 countries and while I traveled with friends for certain parts of that, it was really the inner exploration that I was after. Like the three goals that I gave myself was to find a deeper relationship and understanding of who I am, mm. to figure out what's the best use of my skill set while being in this physical manifestation. Mm. Like, I'm so privileged in so many ways in terms of our societal context. It's like, how am I actually going to use that to make the world a better place? Mm. And then three was to find a partner to create the rest of my life with. Mm. Um, and so on that trip, so I was. So you were say, that specific before you even start on your tw in a trip out 26 countries? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a very, to me, it was a very conscious trip of, like, I'm here to, like, I've done my schooling, you know, I have the degrees that can then, you know, anywhere I go, I could get a job and I can be fine, I can make it, because I can be of value to a lot of people. Um, and so now it's really about, great, how do I fulfill the void that I still feel in my heart? Because externalities are not how I was going to solve that and I knew that and also just like I'd made good investments when I was in college and like go like to me that the best use I could make of them is to actually go explore and you know now Millennials it's like posted everywhere like experience over things right and wisdom comes from experiences and so that was definitely at the heart of what I went after. Mm. Um, and that was probably the last real seminal pivot in my life was that exploration of, okay, now that I have these skills, what am I gonna do with the rest of my life? Mm. How am I going to center in myself and fulfill myself so that I can create what's of highest service to everybody? Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, there was specific points in that that were definitely um, moments that changed me forever. Like being in Nepal and wanting to do the Annapurna circuit. And What's that? It's a 10-day trek through the Annapurna mountains, mm. um, which are, there's four of them, I, there might be more, but there's four of them that are in like the top 20 mountains in terms of elevation in the world. And it's a trek that goes through a pass, which is 17,700 feet, which was like 3,000 feet higher than any mountain <laughs> that I'd summited. And to be going through a pass that has mountains on both sides of it that are much higher than that um, was an amazing experience. Mm. Um, one of the coolest experiences of that, though, is that you have to have a buddy or you have to hire a Sherpa mm. to do that. And I'd done my research and it was like, okay, this hostel is great for meeting people to go on treks. 
I was like, sweet. I get there, it's not touristy season, and there's four people in the entire hostel. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay. And I sit down and start talking with one guy, and funny enough, like, one thing after another, like, he taught the exact same position in an ashram in Pondicherry, India, as my brother did. He was from the Midwest, and about 30 minutes into the conversation, he's like, so did you need someone to go on that trek with you? Because I don't have anything planned over the next two weeks. Uh -huh. I was like, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and so that was just an amazing experience of allowing things to unfold and really just creation without me having to logically be like, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this. Mm -hmm. um, you allow is, for it to happen. Yeah. I mean, because so much of my life, like, for, I, w I say, like, for 27 years of my life, I was an atheist. I was so logical in science. I was like, there's nothing in science that shows what you're talking about in religion. And, or at least not the way I interpret what you talk about in religion. Like, God is out there, you're here, there's a heaven up there, and there's a hell down there. I'm like, those don't make any sense to me. I feel a heaven and hell inside of myself. I feel access to something greater inside of myself. And that makes sense, but in how you're defining it, it doesn't. Um, and so on that trip was when that really shifted and an integration happened for me where I saw how science and spirituality could really come together and support each other in the world. Um, and so it's been unbelievable to see and live in a time from my perspective where those two actually get to come together and meet each other and create something greater because we understand the world that much better because of the two of them combining. Mm. <clears throat> and you didn't say this, but I guess in between the words, I really feel a sense of peace of mind, serenity, like yeah. finally something have arrived. Is yeah. that, I don't want to put words in your mouth, yeah. but is that, is that how you felt Absolutely. that trip? I mean, that trip allowed me to, you know, the idea that I could show up any day as anybody and just feel that out, right? Like, the people I was meeting, like, sure, I might see them again, but probably not, right? Like, so in terms of our identity that we carry with us throughout our lives because we're consistently in relationship with people that we know who hold us inside of that same projection that we project, this was none of that. This was just me getting to play with like, okay, who am I? Okay, I'm a photographer today. Okay, I'm a designer today. Okay, I'm a basketball player today. And just see how people responded, how that resonated for me, and then really get to the point of like, okay, I'm me and none of those things define me. Like those things are attributes that I've learned to become good at through practice, but none of them actually define me and I really got to get in touch with who I was and come to peace with that and really love that and love all parts of that, which is that peace of mind. Like it really was epiphanous moments that happened during that trip that allowed me to understand that like 
I've won. Mm -hmm. Like, I've literally already won. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not afraid of death. Whatever I get to do in my life thus forward is just a gift. Mm. And so for me, it's about great. How do I get to be of service inside of that so that I can support as many other people to find this sense, this peace of mind, this love for themselves that allows us to see each other as the possibility that we are rather than some world where we see each other as competition, as fear-based negative emotions that we project onto each other just because of pre-formulated ideas or even real actions. Mm -hmm. But to not see where those actions come from, to me, that's where the major misalignment was happening. Is like, you're not hurting me because you want to hurt me. You, you're hurting me because you have pain that you're inflicting outwards. Mm -hmm. And then I'm taking that and receiving it as pain because there's something in me that feels like that pain is actually resonant and I should feel that rather than just holding space for that pain to come out of you and not take it on myself. Mm. So I want to pause here and go a little bit deeper, if you don't mind. <clears throat> you went in wanting to find your place in the world effectively, right? You know, and then you also, you, so you got that, right? So you came out of it learning that and the unknown unknowns. You didn't go in there looking for spirituality or your relationship with that but you got that too yeah. right you learn about the uh, the integration between spirituality and science so for someone who is listening to this right now he or she may be in the singular space mm -hmm. hey I don't really know where my gifts and talents are there's some angst right there's a lot of different options I can go get my MBA my master degrees and this and that and the other thing I can move back to my parents or whatever a lot opportunities abound right <laughs> but when you have so many opportunities what it comes with is angst am I actually optimizing for the maximum versus the optimizing for the local minimum uh, maximum mm -hmm. right the global maximum versus the local maximum right yeah <clears throat> Knowing what you know now, are there processes? Obviously, they can go back to the place and meet the guy and <laughs> do the past and all these other things. Yeah, I don't necessarily, I don't know. Maybe you recommend that, maybe you don't. I don't know, right? But knowing what you know now, are there things, um, processes or questions or disciplines or some of the things that you can retrace back so that you can help this person who's listening, who's in the middle of this right now? Yeah. Um, I mean, the fact that you're asking the question, to me, that is the most important thing because as long as, for me, as long as I held the question, that was the frame by which things came through my filtration cycle, right? Like, if my unconscious or conscious brain is the way that I filter reality and turn it into the stories that I call my life, then by holding certain questions in that filter, I'm then allowing the world to show up through that filter, which allows me to see what resonates with me and what doesn't, and what I am attracted to and excites me and what doesn't. And that was definitely a key factor. 
Um, I think the other factors is really looking at what personal development aspects work for them. Um, what does that mean? For me, that was therapy. For me, that was landmark education. For me, that was my parents taking me to enlightenment retreats of like sitting in front of people and just asking the same question over and over and over and over again with like, it felt like hitting a head against a wall. <laughs> um, for me, it was, you know, really about giving myself tools to better understand my experience so that I could actually decipher my experience rather than saying that's the world doing that to me. It's that's the experience that I'm creating from the reality that I'm translating. And those tools allowed me to actually deconstruct that so then I have awareness and choice around the translations that I choose to encode into my belief structures. And that allows me to then, you know, choose different ways forward because I actually have awareness about the unconscious things that are driving my life. And to me, that's really where the biggest problems for all of us come from is we're like, oh my God, all I want is love. And then, you know, someone grabs a taxi right in front of you and you're like, God damn it, that was my taxi. <laughs> and you're like, you're not expressing love. <laughs> you're expressing scarcity and a feeling of being gypped or ripped off. Or like that there was something occurring that you should have been the rightful owner of. Um, and it just allows us to really take a step back and hold space for reality and our translation of it. Um, because what I have found is that life shows up through our relationship with ourself. Given what we were just talking about, we are the translators of the reality by which we understand it. So the more we love ourselves, the more love we see in the world. The more we hate ourselves, the more angst, hatred, and evil we see in the world. And so that was one of the key moments for me of, as I was discovering all of this, and by no means did it ever seem like some sort of clear path forward, it was an unraveling. It was like, you know, I had angst about, like I was living a double life in grad school of going to grad school, getting two master's degrees, and then finally feeling like I was part of the cool kids club being in the Chicago nightlife. And so I didn't pay as much attention as like I would have loved to inside of the amazing education that I was getting because I felt like I was getting fulfillment in a different part of my life that I needed to really understand. Um, yeah, so that was really key for me to understand those different aspects of I never had a clear plan that just went to plan. <laughs> it was much more the unraveling and holding clear intentions without understanding what that was going to look like. So I have an interjection uh, or a question. Yeah. What is it called? Interjection question. <clears throat> How do you hold that intention and while being open? 
without being seduced by what's sexy, right? So what's sexy? Partying is sexy, hanging out with friends is sexy, sexy girls are sexy, or whoever, <laughs> you know, you guys girl you're into, right? Yeah. That, those are things that are sexy. Versus necessarily, I don't know, doing the hard work of contemplating or reading or journaling, or whatever it may be, doing the serious studying. Yeah. How do you discern that? Because one may say, you know, it was, uh, it was the universe that had my friend call me and invite me out to a party every night. And therefore, I'm, I just follow the flow, right? One may say that. Yeah. Right. So uh, what's the discernment? Um, I think at that time, I didn't, at least in grad school, I didn't have the best discernment. <laughs> um, now, for me, it's really about holding that intention and then asking the question of like, okay, with what's on my plate and what I'm here to do, what feels more aligned with that? And so, so you like, use feeling, you mm-hmm. feel into your alignment. Yeah. Okay. Because um, like Burning Man this year, mm-hmm. like for me logically was not the best choice. Um, just from like, if you look at everything else going on in my world, it was like, oh, okay, there's going to be repercussions for that, that I'm going to have to deal with. Mm -hmm. And, but I knew that I needed the personal space that that allows for. And so I knew that that was aligned with what I'm here to do more so than if I would have stayed here and worked and been like, man, I just need some personal space. Like, so feeling is definitely one aspect. And to me, there's a great amount of discernment in feeling. And I think that's a really important piece of what we're talking about is when you do the work to uncover your choices so that you can actually understand where those feelings are coming from, because, you know, when I was in grad school, I would tell you, I was feeling like going out. <laughs> I was feeling like going, you know, seeing my friends at the bar that night. Um, but that was really coming from a place in me that didn't feel satisfied with myself. And didn't feel satisfied with the social aspects of myself. And that, so that is what made that choice was, okay, that over my schoolwork that night. Or like, okay, that can get pushed off, like, I can figure that out. And now it's, great, I can feel where each piece is coming from, and then make a conscious choice of what is most aligned with what I'm here to do. And there's definitely times where it's, it doesn't happen in my brain, right? Like it, my brain has led me places unimaginable and my heart has led me places infinitely beyond. Mm. That's a quotable quote. I love that. And to me, it's about the integration of those two. Because when we're so, like, I'm incredibly strong-minded and one of the hardest things for me is actually the integration of, like, usually I'm like, okay, I go out into nature, I'm all in my heart, and then I'm back in, quote unquote, the real world, and 
I'm just all in my head, how do I get shit done? How do I make it happen? How do I get that next project, that next person, that next connection, whatever it is that's gonna move things forward. And that doesn't really allow for the spontaneity, which you're actually describing may very well be something that comes up that you don't know how to have discernment around. Yeah, it's tricky, right? <laughs> yes. And you don't know whatever happens at, let's say, Burning Man, he's a burning perfect example, right? It takes resources, it takes time, it takes energy. It's really quite a production yep. just to get there. And that in itself, the weather, the elements, the people, it just, you know, more pile on to that. And with all of that, do you still want to go? Logically, is like, why would anyone want to go there? <laughs> um, so I definitely understand. And it's it is certainly that discernment, that space of like at peace, it's no one can describe for you except, but you, once you're there, you, it's the knowingness, it's the inner knowing. And then I wish I can break it down into like a scientific chart thing and then here's a tool, we have to give it to you, but, um, but I appreciate the, I think through the practice, through experience, like anything else, right? Through experiencing it time and again, you get to feel into more well-practice what that discernment feels like an intuitive sense or whatever you call it, whatever that domain of uh, experiences. Yeah. And I'm someone who has put design thinking frameworks on my whole life and I'm like, okay, how am I living into the outputs that I want to create? And, you know, and inside of all of that, while that has led me to those outputs, the points that were the breakthroughs similar to like the innovation process were the points when it didn't see I didn't see a way through and then all of a sudden I banged my head that one more time and the epiphany came through but I don't have you know I don't have a tangible thing that I can say about why that epiphany came through mm. right like I put the framing on it and I put the intention there but the and other than holding that and knowing that it'll occur because I hold that, there's, to me, things that don't show up in the logical world that actually describe what occurs for those insights or epiphanies to occur. Wait, one more time? I didn't hear that. One more time. Yeah. Um, so with, with the frameworks and the intention held, in every innovation process, there's usually either like ideas that come slowly or there's all of a sudden epiphanies that like you're banging your head, you're banging your head, you're banging your head, you don't know the way through and then it just comes to life. Like one moment it just like, you know, some people say it feels like being struck by lightning, right? Like the idea just pops through and you're like, oh my God, this is it. How is this it? Like how did this just solve everything that I'm working to do, even though it wasn't here a second ago. And to me, that's indescribable in terms of logic. And maybe there's neuroscientists out there that disagree with me, and I'd love to have those conversations. Um, but I don't see, other than access to 
some other energy that allows for those data pieces to fit into place in a way that is inside of the frame and the insight that we want. I find it like very hard to bring logic to that, to like those moments of insight, other than knowing that once again, if I put the frame on it and I hold the intention, that something will occur in that direction. So I want to go deeper on that. Yeah. As a creative or as an entrepreneur, they're not scientists. Yeah. So they don't necessarily care about process, like the basic science of how this neural network connects with that thing, yeah. created the, anyways. They, they care about outcomes, yeah. right? And in Turning Pro, uh, Stephen Pressfield, I believe, that's the author, he said basically amateurs expect um, um, you know, the muse to visit them. when they, they will get to work when lightning strikes, right? But pros, what they do is they sit down in that chair at 9 o'clock every day, cleaning their temple until the muse visits them, knowing that when to visit them regularly, right? And that's, I, lo I love that distinction. So what are some of the processes, right? Some of the environments that you made it nice such that the muse will visit you regularly? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think the first thing, just back on the science aspect, very quickly is, I've also realized through neuroscience that where we hold our attention, our brain grows. Mm. So it's like, it's a very simple thing of, if you hold your attention on books that you're interested in, the that are aligned with the intention that you want to create in the world, with experiences that are aligned with the intention that you want to create in the world, you're going to understand more about that direction. Mm. And your brain is going to grow in that direction through neuroplasticity. Mm. Um, back to your question about like what processes, where... What disciplines, processes, systems yeah. that you have helped to cultivate that. Yeah. Um, I think the most basic ones are a morning practice um, of getting up every morning a few hours before work, usually by 7 a.m. at the latest, and doing half an hour of meditation, reading for 20 to 30 minutes, going on a bike ride along the beach, really creating the space for myself to just be with myself, to, you know, back to that life shows up through our relationship with ourself. Well, when we spend time with ourselves, that's us loving ourselves more. And so inside of that, we then have more energy and more love to give to others throughout the day. And so as a morning, as like a morning staple, that really has been an amazing shift in my life. Um, others are just meditation in general. Um, spending, once again, spending that time just with myself, allowing whatever to come through to come through and releasing any expectation that it needs to be any way different. And also when I'm stressed out. To just take a grounding breath. And inside of that, it's like, I may feel like I'm submerged underwater, when I take that breath, I'm like, oh yeah, I can breathe underwater. 
Um, I also think that, you know, moments of uh, ritual are really interesting in terms of Burning Man, in terms of going out into nature, just moments where I get to open and close chapters of my life and open and close different parts of me that really, like I spoke to, of like going out into nature and really having my heart open allows me to then come back into this, into this reality and look to integrate my heart being open that much more. And to me, that's a constant practice. Like it's not like, you know, I may create all that space for myself and then I'll come into work and just get punched in the face and I gotta be like, okay, breathe, okay. How do I, how do I hold the energy that I just crafted my whole morning and bring that to whatever challenge I'm facing? Mm. Um, yeah, I think those are the main ones. Spending time with people that I love um, and I have not done it yet, but my wife loves the Pashnas um, and I'm planning one for this Christmas. So Are you going to go? Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Mm. Good luck. <laughs> I mean, to me, I feel like very much the, my, my 15 month trip was like had multiple mm -hmm. little versions of those but didn't have the hard rails that that has that mm -hmm. really defines you to be inside of that. And so I'm excited about that. I mean, I know it'll be immensely challenging. And to me, like, I'm not afraid of the work. The work is why I'm here. Yeah, exactly. And that's actually another reason why I think is the common denominators for all of the guests that I'm interested in speaking to is not only, so this is what I distinguished so far. Maybe you can help me distinguish <laughs> some more if you don't mind. Great. I love talking to people who are internally aware. They know their, how their inner workings work and who are unabashedly themselves. Self-expression. And they're always going after uh, the difficulties the adverse, the adversities as a way, a path to growth, further growth. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. So these are some of the things that I, that I have seen is the common denominators for all these people. Yeah, I mean the, there's a lot of books that have been written about it, like the obstacle is the way mm -hmm. and things of that nature, and to me it's not about those things being obstacles or challenges as much as it is them being opportunities. Mm -hmm. And inside of that opportunity is a way where I get to open further to myself and reality mm -hmm. and come to grips and fully surrender to what reality is. Mm -hmm. And through that I get to have more love, more peace, and more joy in my life even though at the time it doesn't feel that way. <laughs> However, through that, I'm constantly uncovering all the different challenges by which I would be telling myself that reality is not those, those three forms of being, right? Those challenges are pushing me to say, okay, 
you believe that you live in a place of peace, love, and joy. Mm. How about now? How about now? And that's where I really have the opportunity to say, yes, that is immensely challenging. And that doesn't change my basis of who I am. Like, one of the things that I really love to speak to is that life doesn't stop punching you in the face. Mm -hmm. The only thing that changes is the way that we interact with it, the way that we take that. Um, another thing that... How you respond. Yeah. Yeah. Something that my dad made sure I did when I was young, both because he knew I was going to be tall, <laughs> but also just for, as theory for life, was Aikido. Mm. And so really understanding, okay, energy is going to constantly be coming at you. How do you respond? How do you take that? And how do you use that in a direction that you want it to go? Rather than you being the one that absorbs it, how do you redirect it to somewhere else? And to me, that's very much what I speak to when I say that life doesn't stop punching you in the face. It's that question of, you look at people that are, you know, the Dalai Lama or Mother Teresa, and you're like, oh my God, they, you know, like Mother Teresa, you're like, she had an unbelievably challenging life. She mm -hmm. chose to have that. Mm -hmm. And it was the most rewarding thing from her expression mm -hmm. that she could have ever done. Mm -hmm. And so very clearly there was an aspect of this idea that we're going to get to a perfect place isn't the case. There is no, like, we can't believe in a utopia because we create our own challenges. We can't believe in a utopia because we create our own challenges. Say more about that. I didn't understand that. So, I've come to really see just how much we create our own challenges in our life because we resist the very reality that we live in. And so it continues to show up for us in that way. Mm -hmm. And we believe that there is some, like, if I'm a millionaire, oh, then life's gonna be great. If I have, you know, that woman or that man as my partner, then life is gonna be great. We, we believe in this place that is greener on the other side of the pasture. And what I've found is that that never actually turns out. Like, you might get the dopamine hit for like the first little time, and you're like, oh my God, this is great, this is great, wait, whoa, I still have the same problems. And so really that it's right now, right here, that we get to create our perfect world. And that's fully surrendering to the world as it is. And then saying, I love that. I am great with that. And from there, I then have choice to create in a new direction. And in terms of we don't believe in utopia, you know, it goes back to the Agent Smith quote in The Matrix of like, human beings can't possibly, I'm going to butcher it, but human beings can't, like we made a utopia and human beings couldn't deal with it. They broke it because it did not compute. <laughs> because we constantly create our own challenges. And when we're talking about futures that we want to live into, a utopic future 
doesn't make sense to humans today. You know, someday we may all evolve to some ungod, like unbelievably loving, godly state where it, it does. I'm not saying that isn't some sort of possibility in the far off future. For right now though, it doesn't make sense. So me saying like, well, we're gonna, we're gonna build this utopia. Like it's gonna be beautiful. And people are like, cool. Like, I'm really happy for you. <laughs> well, if I speak of a protopic future that has new versions of the challenges that we already deal with, and yet it's like, oh, and there's a regenerative economy, there's equality, and sure, equality is, you know, I don't know if we'll ever see true equality. I hope so. But I don't know if in my lifetime that that will ever truly be the case because that comes from the very instinct of our insecurities as human beings to need to be above somebody else to show that we are worthy to ourselves. So, so, wait, so you, my interpretation of what you said is yeah. our ego, whatever the sense of self, needs to basically put ourselves in a scoreboard in comparison to someone else yeah. in order to derive self-worth, self-value. Is yeah. that what you said? Yeah. Okay. Through. Because in our society, we focus on externalities to show us our value. And so we look at all these cues, like, oh, you're wearing a nice sweater. That means you must have money to be able to purchase that nice sweater, which means you're in a certain stature, you're probably educated, you're all of these lists of things that we then are like, okay, you're, you're this somebody. And in a lot of cases, we then use that as like fodder for our own self-value. And you know, a quote that I love is, comparison is the thief of joy. Mm. Because we do it all the time, and yet, when do we actually, like, when is there that moment of just pure love inside of comparison? When was it? Yeah, I never. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I ever compare myself to anyone, anywhere, and, what, and I was full of joy. <laughs> yeah, like, however we do find, we do feed value stories doing comparison. We do, we do project our insecurities through comparison. We say, oh, oh yeah, those shoes are hideous. Right. <laughs> like, cool, like, I'm glad you think that. Like, <laughs> does that make you feel better about your shoe choice? Do you say that, by the way? I don't. Um, I definitely say things like, there's at times where I dislike, um, I don't know. I mean, there's, I'm sure my friends can find times. I, I like to believe that I don't speak that way very often, but I'm sure I'm human. It's got to happen. But I wonder, like, <clears throat> would it be funny, you know, as a comedic show to point out the crazy things that people say and just point out the obvious 
as a commentary. You know, like that angry Barack Obama, kind of like that. You know, he said this, and my brain's telling me this other thing. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, the things that we tell ourselves to have ourselves feel good are the most absurd things ever because they're based off of logical underpinnings to support our emotional feelings. Mm -hmm. And so we feel, you know, we have a piece of us that feels undervalued, so we feel sad when we see that person who, you know, is getting all the attention. And so we create reasons why they suck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's, you know, and it's only to feed the story of ourselves and try to build ourselves up, but oftentimes we don't have the support structures because we're once again using the external world to validate our internal world. And as far as I have seen and I have experienced, that doesn't work. Mm. When I validate my internal world internally, then I can project that externally. But the other way around only creates a cyclical nature that I never quite actually validate myself. I only do it, you know, through the dopamine shot of purchasing that thing that will make me look good for that 10 times that I wear it. So I'm curious, because your superpower is storytelling, right? How would you use that to um, further your purpose? Do you, are, you, are you clear about your purpose? Do you have mm -hmm. a statement or yeah, I, um, a vision that you tell yourself? I mean, I'm, yes, there's, multi, there's a few different versions for like different audiences. Okay. <laughs> um, the main one is that I'm here to empower a world of love, freedom, and abundance through a blend of science technology, uh, business, and personal development, or science, art, business, and personal development. Yeah, I mean, that in itself is really crisp. I mean, that's more than 99.9% .9 of the people in the world. So now you have this clarity. Yeah. What do you do as a way to cultivate that on a daily level for, so there's a quote I wanna share before I ask the question. Great. Confucius said self-mastery, family, nation, and world. He, the way he think, thinks about it is a very concentric circle, or fractal that way. <clears throat> so knowing your purpose, how does it help you cultivate your own behavior, family, business, and then nation and world? Yeah. Um, I mean, it helps me in unbelievable ways because it gets to be kind of like holding the question and holding the intention. Like to me, my purpose is also my intention. Mm -hmm. And so I get to hold that and then reflect upon myself. Am I showing up in that way? Am I showing up that way inside of my relationship with my wife? Am I showing up that way inside of my business? And really understanding does that like how, and not just from a place of like, no, you're not, but from a place of like, how can I? Mm. Like, because just by being me, I've gotten to the state where I know that that purpose is who I am. Mm -hmm. 
And so to me, it is that question of, great, how can I show up more? And I don't even know if that's a powerful question anymore. Like, I go back and forth between these, plates, these places of logically, I got to do more, mm. to places where, you know, like Burning Man, where I'm just being. Mm. And that being is so much more powerful for people that reflect back to me than when I'm doing. Mm. Um, and I think the other way that it shows up for me is it shows up in terms of how I've chosen to live my life. Like I've chosen to be an entrepreneur. I've mm. chosen to start a, rela- or start a business with my wife and my best friends. Mm. I've chosen that very challenging path mm. because I also know that it's an example of what is possible for other people. Mm. And because if I'm gonna be in the trenches, I want to be in the trenches with people I love. Mm. And I also want them to go through the development work. Like I see the entrepreneurship experience to be very similar to personal development. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You know, like it's very transformative. Yeah. You come out a different human being. Yeah. yeah. And you get to see what are the things that are providing fulfillment? How are you creating meaning in your life? What are you attaching that to? And how is that attached to the things that you measure? Because, you know, in management we speak about what you measure is what will grow. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's very hard to put KPIs on human beings in terms of their evolution or their growth. Um, but at the same time, there's great potential in just how that gives us frameworks of, you know, how powerful smart goal settings are. So what do you measure? Personally, Um, business, relationships? Yeah. What do you measure? Um, I mean, every week I'm in a men's circle that I have commitments that those commitments are in line with quarterly goals which are in line with yearly goals. And so the things that I measure are things like, how often am I active? How often am I writing? How often am I being true to my commitments to meditate? Um, How often am I in commitment with taking my wife on an amazing date every two weeks? Like, to me, there's, like measurement is it is external like that's what we're reflecting Um, and then there are the internal ones that are like how am I doing and that's part of to me what journaling is about it's like one it's releasing the things that I'm holding on to so that I can have more freedom inside of me to allow whatever to come through to come through And it's also to actually have a marker of like, okay, you know, we start our men's circle every week on a scale of one to 10, how is the man doing? Mm. Right, like, because that allows for us to bring a number to the subjective experience, Mm. which just, it's not like that number puts us in a box, it's just like we get to understand and communicate like, how is the internal 
person that is behind the mask actually doing? Because we all like to wear masks of like, you know, whether that is I'm the know-it-all or I'm the smart entrepreneur or I'm the slouch or I'm the, you know, athletic comedic guy, like whatever it is, like, and then behind that, there's another version of ourselves that is the one that's kind of keeping all the pieces together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. I think those are the main things that I measure. I mean, there's definitely financial goals, there's definitely uh, project goals and, um, you know, goals of going on vacations with my wife and spending a certain amount of time with my family. Um, yeah, things that, that I know by doing will fill me up. Mm-hmm and really making sure that I put those into my schedule so that I know I can go hard for when I'm not there and then I've set up space for me to fill myself back up. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. How would you define what it means to be masculine modern times? Mm. (laughs) It's a difficult question. Yeah. Yeah, and then perhaps a very personal one. And you're actually the first person I asked this question to, by the way. Actually, no, the second. But first one in the official podcast. (laughs) Nice. So, um, I personally don't really have an answer, so, um, yet. Other than what I share with you about the criteria that people I want to talk to, right? People who seem balanced, people who know their internal space, who uh, can articulate it, who are self-expressed. And uh, I can't remember the, another one that I mentioned, but there was one other one that I mentioned. So, what do you think? So, to me I've had, it's taken me a while to become comfortable with speaking to masculine and feminine. Okay. Um, Especially because, like, a lot of people would take that question and say, what does it mean to be a man mm-hmm. in today's age? Mm-hmm. And I don't find that masculine necessarily means man. Yep. I mean that it's much more an energetic way of being. Yep. And that masculine and feminine energy can interplay in an amazing way and you see that both in genders but you also see that within ourselves yep mm-hmm. and to me 100% actually this is a precisely the reason why I want to have a conversation about this in Noble Warrior this podcast because uh, I believe usually that there's yin and the yang within us it's, there's no it's we are polar <laughs> human beings right so anyways continue yes. please um Yeah, absolutely. So to me, it's about bringing those into balance inside of ourselves. And then that allows us to have space to deal with anyone's masculine or feminine heavy energy outside of that. And what that a analogy that I really like is that the masculine is the banks of a river. It is the structure that holds things together. 
you know, we like to be very structure oriented as men. And then the feminine is the actual flow of the river. And that river is constantly eroding and moving those structures. And we're constantly building those back up in new ways. <laughs> um, but to really understand that we build the structure to allow the flow to come through, rather than a lot of my friends have rebelled against the structure and try to live in complete flow. And to me, that's very similar to the creative process where to me, it's unbelievably important in the creative process to have your set boundaries because to me, you're essentially honing in on an idea and you're using radio dials to hone in on that idea in three-dimensional space. And your, you know, your boundaries your, uh, are actually what are defining the problem. They're what framing it. It's the structure around it that allows you to actually find that one idea in that three-dimensional space. And I find that it's the same way with masculine and feminine energy is that the structure allows for the flow of being to be present in a much more, uh, I don't want to say structured way because that doesn't, um, but in a much more uh, supported way because you don't, like to me, a lot of the aspects of when we're in flow is like, okay, how do I know I'm still going the right way? <laughs> like, how do I know I'm still following my quote-unquote intuition? Like, and when the structure is there, I find that that doesn't matter as much. It's like the structure of Burning Man is set up in such a way that you then just get to be in that place of flow. Um, so for me, masculine and feminine comes down to embracing both energies. It comes down to loving both energies and fully accepting that those are a part of the human experience and that I don't need to disown a part of myself to be a man. You know, I don't need to disown my feelings to be a man. While I may be stoic and I may be uh, very thoughtful with my reactions, it doesn't mean that I don't hold space for my emotions to occur. And same on the flip side of like, you know, the idea of being super structured, like I don't push that aside because I just want to live in my feelings. To me, modern masculinity is about an integrated man. If we are speaking about men inside of masculinity. Um, and to me, an integrated man is one that accepts all parts of themselves loves all parts of himself and therefore allows all of it to contribute and bring awareness to his reality so that he has choice in how he shows up to be someone who supports a different possibility for people because so many of us are suffering at such an immense degree internally and the possibility of what's available you know, I spoke earlier about like, there is no utopia. There is this centered, grounded place of infinite love, though. Mm. 
there is this place of unconditional love that we can come into that allows for it all to be okay. Like when I said that I've won, like that's what happened, was like I got to that place. And so no matter how much I get punched, I'm not questioning who I am. I'm just saying, oh, that sucks. Cool. How do I take that and figure out how to use it towards my purpose? Mm. And so even inside of challenges that I'm having in my relationship right now, it's not about me. It's not about my core being. It's about the structures and what we have together for what is important for both of us and how that's aligned. So intellectually, I totally get that. Right. But in the moment, when you do get punched in the face, when you're whoever that you're engaging with says some hurtful words mm -hmm. or the perceived mm -hmm. perception is hurt, right? In that moment, how do you remind yourself that it's okay? This is all part of the growth. This, this conflict, this pain shall pass, right? How do you, in that moment, so Viktor Frankl said, between stimulus and response, there's a space, and in that space lies our freedom and growth, right? So, in that space, mm -hmm. how do you choose? It's a great question. Um, for me, one is making sure that I provide the space. So, it's not, like if I get that, <gasps> that like feeling of a jab, right? That I'm not, okay, I need to say something right now to get back at you. It's Oh, interesting. Where did that resonate for me that I felt that that was painful for me? Okay, where did that come from, from this person? Where was the pain or disdain or where, where did that occur from? And then I can have choice in the ways that I respond. So I can respond and say, I don't put up with that. Mm. I'm not interested in that type of communication. If you want to continue that communication with me, you will not do it. I will not be here. Or I can say, ask the exact question of, so where did that come from? Mm. Like, was it something that you saw in what I did? Was it something that happened in the past for you? Like, and that makes people furious sometimes because mm -hmm. they're like, no, it's you. Right, that's right. <laughs> How dare you question my, my pain. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in those scenarios, it is me standing for myself and my value inside of like, I'm not questioning my love for you. I'm not questioning like, you're saying that to me and I love you unconditionally no matter what choices you ever make in your life even though that might hurt even though that might you know you might cut my arm off and I have the choice between being pissed and having vengeance on you and holding that the entire rest of my life or I have the choice to understand that forgiveness is not for you forgiveness is for me because I am the one who carries that around I am the one who chooses the story that's encoded onto my being. And that is translated into my belief system going forward. Because if, if I say that 
you know, I'm going to be, this isn't going to be politically correct. If I say that Asian people like to cut my arm off, then going forward, that's going to be my reality. And I'm going to be holding that. And all of my friends that are Asian, all of a sudden are going to be like, dude, who are you? Like, what, <laughs> where is this energy coming from? Like, and so it's really about creating the space for me to have choice in how I react. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. I appreciate it. In my mind, um, in my mind, there's a. I like the two by two quadrants. It's yeah. kind of my favorite tools. Yeah. So in my mind, there's masculine and feminine. It's an energy. Totally agree with you. And it's a it's a spectrum, mm-hmm. right? And then there's the mature and immature expression of this such energy. So in my mind, a healthy masculine is someone who operates from neutral. Because ultimately, we, got, we as human beings are going to react always. It's like the pinball machine. We're going to react. Right. <clears throat> and the idea is if we can always come back to neutral and react appropriately, whether it be force, right, in a, in a masculine, immature way, because the situation calls for it, right, someone confronts me in a dark alleyway, I'm not going to be like rational and have a conversation, like I'm going to respond appropriately, right? <clears throat> but in a spousal uh, disagreement about some things, I'm going to bring love in a healthy, feminine way, let's say, right? In a nurturing, understanding of these other things. <clears throat> so in my mind, healthy masculine is someone who doesn't paint himself into a corner. I'm this way and this way only. And it's, it's one that I can appropriate, uh, appropriately respond to the situation. Yeah. That's yeah. my mental model right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love that. Um, I think that that's a really interesting one for sure. Um, it's, it's kind of like, okay, by being able to be the whole spectrum, I'm, I'm giving myself all of these different tools. Options. Right. Yeah. yeah, and so absolutely. then when I come back to a neutral state, I then get to take in what occurs, and then I get to be like, okay, which tool is appropriate for this scenario? That's right. Now, when I'm caught up in a specific action already, I already have a tool out. And so it may not be the right tool for the situation, at least to resonate with the outcomes that I want to create, but because it's already in my hand, I'm going to throw that wrench. <laughs> <laughs> right. Someone with a hammer, all they see is... Nails. And nails to, to hit on. Right? Yeah. Versus a master mechanic, you know, different tools. We're mixing analogies over all the place, but I think the listeners can kind of get what we're trying to say. It's about the ability to choose in that moment. And the more, the more we practice, maybe the first time, totally going to butcher this, 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 this opportunity, right? Maybe, you know, my wife would tell me, ah, we talked about this five times. So, yeah, but every time I'm reacting a little bit differently, right? See, I'm well-practiced in a way to appropriately uh, respond. 
Um, cool, man. So my intention of this is to be able to give people tools, disciplines, tactical things that people can take on to really be more grounded, centered. Is there anything else that we, when we cover a lot of ground, yeah. right? Is there anything else that you would say, hey, this is something that I think is so important that many modern age would be really smart to take it on as a discipline? Yeah, I mean, I think um, one thing we just touched on very briefly um, is men's and women's circles. Mm, that's right. Um, Environment, support group. Yeah. Yes, please is, say more about that. Um, I've been part of a men's circle for three years, and I went into it being like, oh man, I'm going to teach these guys. <laughs> and it was just such an eye-opening experience of having a group of men who were just there to listen to whatever I needed to get out and then support me in the direction that I've already committed to them that I'm headed. And to be able to deal with, you know, everything from business to self to family to relationships and know that, oh yeah, we're men. And not to say that that's like, you know, we have a hugely different experience than women, but we do. And to really be appropriate about that in terms of us helping each other out because we've all been through similar scenarios. Like we've all been through a fight with a spouse. We've all been through that horrible day at work. We've all been through hurting ourselves or being in a medical challenge. And there's some men that have handled those things really well. And there's some men that haven't, but where they haven't, they've handled other places really well. And so it's just an amazing community to be able to support each other through sharing the things that have worked for our lives. How do you select the people in those circles? Ultimately, they're self-selected through their willingness to show up. Mm. So their willingness to go through and do the work and then show up on a weekly basis. You know, like, there's some men that start that and are just like, oh, well, I have so many other things going on. It's like, I have 20 projects right now. I could make excuses for days why I shouldn't show up on a weekly basis. But it's another place where I give myself the space to actually deal with what's really going on rather than projecting what I need to see happen. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, it really comes down to, are they, are they willing to show up? So what are the best places to find men's circles? Google it, that's it, or is there um, other ways? I mean, there's, there's quite a few different ones. Um, there's things like the Mankind Project, uh, the one that I'm a part of is the Remarkable Practice, uh, which used to be known as the Santa Monica Men's Circle. Um, there's, um, uh, there's Reboot Podcast runs their own uh, men's circles. And some people think of them also as masterminds, but they really are different because masterminds are usually more 
business focused and can be both genders. Um, this is really a place to be able to explore the experience of being a man. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, outside of Google, those are the ones that come up off the top of my head that I know of. Um, yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, there's a phrase um, that I say all the time in all of the, the different podcasts that we recorded already, but that is the, we're the average, the, the five people that we spend the most time with. So after being that man's circle for three years, what would you say to the validity of that statement? I mean, I think absolutely, because those, I mean, I don't know that, I think the people that I work with are probably the ones I spend more time with than sure. necessarily the men's circle. However, those relationships have definitely informed who I am. Mm -hmm. um, and they definitely support me to be the best version of myself. Mm -hmm. um, and the, aspects of how you know we we each hold different mental models of how we perceive reality and through consistently being in relationship with each other one we like to be in relationship with people that hold similar views as us mm -hmm. um, just from a dopamine effect mm -hmm. um, it's a confirming aspect that we like and then the other is to really enjoy people that, like at least for me, that question reality, that have curiosity. And I see that both inside of the men's circle and inside of my work. And those are people that I really look to bring on to my team is like, how are you exploring yourself? How are you exploring how yourself relates to reality? Mm. Yeah, it's interesting that you, you do this for a living, right? <laughs> through your story. Yeah. It makes reality storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, what that is going to enable is going to be, I don't know really the repercussions of it. However, I know what I'm standing for is creating content that allows us to explore all of the things that we talked about in a first-hand basis because all of this as you spoke to earlier like I understand it logically that's great like when I understand something theoretically I'm like awesome that that helps me however until I have context to that theoretical understanding it doesn't become an understanding or until I have context till that theoretical knowledge it doesn't become an understanding and then once I put it in practice that's when it starts to become an embodiment and with mixed reality storytelling, we're gonna be able to create contextual scenarios that show people what, how to reframe a challenge as an opportunity, how to deal with creating space inside of when someone comes at you. We'll actually be able to showcase all of these different ways by which we can help them up-level and see how the right choice actually can give them more fulfillment and more once again, peace, love, and joy in their life. That's beautiful. I'm actually very intrigued by how you, the, um, the implementation of that. Yeah, the thesis is uh, definitely beautiful and it's definitely much needed, especially 
if I just look broadly across the world right now, it seems, there seems to be a polarization of, of opinions, mm -hmm. right? And then people who have the same opinions tend to you now aggregate together and form an even stronger opinions. And people would point to the other side and say, those are not my people, I don't want to have anything to do with them. Or they find out later on, let's say you, like, Chris, I, I found out about you that I'm never going to interact with you, like, just because of one belief is different. And so there's much, uh, but through mutual discussion and, and disagreements and inquiries is really how we can come to a mutually agreeable place, or maybe even agree to disagree. Without pontificating further, I'm just, this is such a needed space in this world. And if we ever wanted to be in a more unified world, uh, we need to do better in this, for sure. And I, I hope that what you're doing is, is the answer, or if not, a partial answer yes. to, to this puzzle. I mean, it's going to take a huge multitude of things. Um, I just want to create something that allows for scalable experiences that can elicit transformation for people in a way that gives them a deeper understanding of how they work and more awareness and how they can make choices that support who they want to be in the world. Yeah. So lastly, how, how do people find out more about, about you and your, your mission in the world? Yeah. Um, I have chosen to create a business that is the extension of my mission in the world, um, which is called Impact Labs. And Spell that first, please. Yeah, it's E-M-P-A-C-T and then L-A-B-S. And so that's essentially saying emotional impact and empathy and impact. Um, and there's also a great urban dictionary definition of impact that I didn't even know when I thought of the name. Um, but really understanding that our decisions come from our emotions and that's been proven by neuroscience and then we create the logical underpinnings to make sense of that emotional feeling. And looking at if we can do that, if we can drive people to make decisions that are aligned with who it is they want to be, then we're more likely to have better versions of them and more connections between us as human beings. Mm. And Beautiful. so Impact Labs focuses on doing that in terms of storytelling with socially conscious brands and really looking at how do we create, you know, how do we shift from the corporations of today into socially conscious Fortune 100s of tomorrow. I love that. What a talk. Thank you so much, my friend. <laughs> Appreciate you. Such a pleasure.